Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. For the past couple of weeks, someone has been walking around my neighborhood writing messages of hope and encouragement on the sidewalk. I love my neighborhood, and I devoted a whole episode to the story of how we became a community. That's episode nine if you missed it. Case in point, there's currently a window treasure hunt going on where kids can walk around and spot items that people have put up in their windows. So far, 55 households are participating. One neighbor even made a map of it. The sidewalk messages came to my attention when my neighbor Judy sent an email to our neighborhood listserv. Judy and her husband live across the street from us, and my kids' affection for her rivals the love they feel for their grandmas. They've put on shows in her front yard, baked her cookies, and love yelling out, Hi, Judy, whenever they see her across the street. She gives them birthday cards. She's a writer herself and the author of several books. Judy had written our neighborhood to say thank you to whoever was writing those encouraging messages. She said they cheered her every day when she was out walking her dog. Judy's message immediately brought me back to a webinar I attended last week by social psychologist Nicholas Epley on the science behind meaningful interactions. Nick is the John Templeton Keller Professor of Behavior Science and the Faculty Director of the Center for Decision Research at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. He studies social cognition, that is, how thinking people think about other thinking people, to understand why smart people so routinely misunderstand each other. He teaches an ethics and happiness course to MBA students called Designing a Good Life. My brother took Nick's class last summer, and when I saw my brother at Christmas, he was still talking about it. After attending Nick's webinar, I understand why. I reached out to Nick to ask him if he'd mind me sharing his research with you, and he generously provided a link to his webinar and his research. I'll include everything that he sent me in my show notes for today. Nick began by quoting Aristotle, Man is by nature a social animal. He said that connecting with others is a deep human need, and the quality of our social connections is a powerful determinant of our well-being and health. This isn't just Nick's opinion. He's got solid, extensive research to back up these claims. His work has measured social satisfaction and things like physical health, religion, and age against the satisfaction people get from increased income, the positive effect of which, interestingly, flattens out at about $75,000 a year. It turns out that being lonely is just as bad for your health as smoking. It increases cortisol levels in your blood, compromises your immune system and cardiovascular health. Nick said, you don't die of loneliness, you die of something else. But it is an underlying cause. Nick's research doesn't just look at the negative effects of loneliness. It looks at the positive effects of reaching out to others, both for us and for the people we connect with. It probably isn't news to any of us that we feel better about ourselves when we invest in meaningful relationships. We know intuitively that we feel better when we're kind or when we express gratitude. Nick's research confirms this, and it also shows that even for introverts, merely acting more extroverted can make us feel better. 
But what fascinates me about Nick's research is that people tend to wildly underestimate how positively their social acts will be received by others. When we're faced with decisions about whether or not to say hello, reach out, express support, connect more intimately, perform acts of kindness, or ask for help, we create all kinds of psychological barriers for ourselves. We've all had that dreaded moment on an airplane or bus when the person next to us starts talking when we'd rather bury ourselves in a good book. But Nick's research reveals how wrong our assumptions are, even about those kinds of interactions. Consistently in Nick's research, people have measured their predicted social satisfaction from connecting both with strangers and the people they know, and every time their actual experience of connecting is more positive, less awkward, and better received than they anticipated. He ran one experiment on a train in Homewood, Illinois, where people were randomly assigned to one of three conditions. One, keep to themselves and enjoy their solitude. Two, do whatever they would normally do. Three, do something somewhat radical. Try to start a conversation and make a connection. Learn something new about a stranger. His study showed that the highly social people had the most positive commute more positive than those who kept to themselves. He did that same study in London, and the results were identical. Nick says that there's a gap, often a large one, between how people think they will feel when they connect and how they actually feel. People tend to think that others don't want to talk to them, and so it will be difficult to start. But nearly everybody in the study was willing to respond. We underestimate how willing others are to engage with us. In another experiment, people wrote letters expressing their gratitude to someone in their lives. The study measured both their own predicted and actual feelings of satisfaction and awkwardness. Over and over again, the senders felt less awkward and more positive than they anticipated. But the response of the recipients of those letters was even more interesting. Compared to how the letter writers predicted, Recipients consistently felt more pleasantly surprised both about receiving the letter and about its content and felt less awkward about receiving it. The letter writing was good for those who wrote them, but it was great for those who received them. This was true whether or not the person was close or someone the letter writer had grown distant from. Nick also said that when we make connections, the quality of conversation matters. His studies have shown that people predict that they'll feel more awkward and less happy when they ask deeper questions in conversations. But in reality, they feel less awkward, happier, like the experience more, and feel a stronger bond when the content of the conversation is deeper. Nick mentioned a study by Art Aaron, which inspired the New York Times story, 36 Questions That Will Make Anyone Fall in Love. He also said it matters how you connect. Phone calls are less awkward, more intimate, and more satisfying than people expect them to be. We feel so much more connected when we hear another person's voice. This one really hit home for me this week. Last week, my sister-in-law, Alexis, had a miscarriage. It's been a pretty awful week for her, and yesterday she called me to talk about it. I had a miscarriage myself a while back, when we were trying for number three, and I wasn't prepared for the way it would level me. For me, the experience was akin to losing a child. It was losing a child. It didn't matter that I already had two healthy kids. When that baby died, 
I lost more than a fetus. That death was also the death of my hopes. I would never get to meet this person I longed to know. I wouldn't get to watch them grow up or see what they looked like or how they would bond with their siblings or how they would shift our family dynamic. I was in my late 30s at the time, so after nine months of trying and failing to have another baby, that miscarriage also represented my inability to have another child. I'm incredibly grateful that eventually we did have another kid when we'd given up trying. But all of these years later, I still carry inside me the loss of that other baby. I haven't had a year yet where I don't think of her on the day she would have been born. I wasn't going to share Alexis's name. From the beginning, it's been really important to me to protect the privacy of the people in my life, and even with strangers, to always ask permission whenever I quote them or mention their work. But when I asked Alexis if I could mention her anonymously, she said she'd be glad to be mentioned by name. And then it hit home that this is exactly what Nick's research is saying. We want people to know us to reach out and connect with us in meaningful ways. And the way we connect does matter. Alexa said that she's taken great solace from the voicemails she's received from friends and family, from people who actually picked up the phone and let her hear their voice. Her sister sent her flowers. Her parents and that same sister sent letters. Alexa said that it was people taking the time to share in her sorrow and reach out in personal ways that meant the most to her. This is a good reminder for me, especially right now. I've been guilty of sending texts to friends experiencing loss instead of doing something more personal like picking up the phone. My fear of the awkwardness of not knowing what to say has sometimes overruled my desire to connect. Nick said that during this time of physical distance, we get the chance to be Santa Claus to others. He said, if you want to feel better today, Sit down and write a letter to someone who has done something really great for you. Send it. Get in the habit of sending someone a compliment or a kind thought whenever you think of them. If there's someone you haven't thought about for a long time, give them a call. When you talk to others, ask them how they're really doing. Ask meaningful questions. These acts have extraordinary power. Take little steps. Get started and then do it more often. It'll mean more than you think. After seeing Judy's email and hearing Nick's research, I went out and wrote my own messages of hope on the sidewalk. I felt a little silly, especially since my kids weren't with me, but it also felt good. The next morning, it rained all day. All of the messages got washed away. But then last night, when I went out for an evening run, there was a freshly chalked smiley face in front of my house, And near it, these words, Nevertheless, we persisted. I want to end today's episode by letting you know about a truly inspiring initiative by the Global Impact Group. What if there were a way to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic to help from the safety of our own homes and make a real difference? With the help of Rotary District 5160, the Global Impact Group is leading the initial effort of an incredible program called Volunteer Surge. Volunteer Surge will provide free online training to equip volunteers to become telehealth or community health workers. These volunteers will provide basic assistance and will reduce suffering and save lives locally and across the nation. How? By helping our healthcare providers to focus more of their attention where it's most needed. 
You can visit www.tgig.org or check out my show notes for details. The world is watching and waiting for our help, and we are now truly defined by our actions in this crisis. Finally, if you work in a government agency, a nonprofit organization, or a social enterprise that needs additional operation or strategic support due to the COVID-19 crisis, Nick and Booth's Rustandy Center for Social Innovation want you to know that they're connecting MBA student volunteers with organizations in need of their academic and professional expertise. Check out my show notes for today to submit your request. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, this family business has stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, you'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, you can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.